0: our journey though over the last couple of weeks has really been talking about uh, you know the integrity the truth the uh, the truth about what God's word says about this topic when it comes to sex sex between men and women within the bounds of marriage we've been talking about that we've been talking about some other things that our culture has been embracing that are really not a part of what God's word would want for us. And I think, uh, as I understand, some of these topics are very tense. I'll go back to what I've said the last couple of weeks. The church has not talked about these things that we're talking about. And then what's happened is culture has taken over. And so we're, we're coming back to it and saying, okay, let's make sure the church is talking about these things because, again, this is what, you know, God created sex, and so it's okay for us to talk about this stuff here in church environment i think for far too long we have uh, also allowed success in our culture today To be determined by the wrong things. And one of the reasons why I want to share this with you uh, in our time together uh, over these several weeks is because of this. I put in your notes something important to remember what we can see uh, in studies, you know, outside of church, and of course the church can look at these things as well. But in your notes, I put this success in life can be directly tied to sexual morality or immorality. Your integrity or lack of integrity sexually oftentimes plays out in a trajectory of successful living and unsuccessful living. Folks, this is true in any area of your life. If you are low integrity in anything, it's gonna produce unhealthy results in time in your life. If you're low integrity with your money, it's gonna produce low integrity results with your money. Any area of your life. And so the same is true sexually. Low integrity people. What is integrity? Like I, I, I am wholly, truly living for the things of God. I am living a life of integrity, right living with God. Uh, this, this understanding, we see it in the scriptures as well, it plays out to what would result in a, a better way of living. For far too long our culture has said, no, 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 you know what success is? Success is your bank account being large. Success is having a lot of possessions. That's what's been told to us. And we've embraced that in America. Uh, People are doing well maybe in their bank account, but they're morally bankrupt. I don't know that that's really successful living. What if we said, actually, here's what success is. Ready? I'm celebrating my 25th or my 30th or my... 50th or 60th wedding anniversary, I think that's success, okay? What if success is actually, you know what, I parented, and I parented well, and I taught within the roof of my home what it means for my children to understand what biblical sexual living looks like, and I raised them up that way and sent them out. That should be considered success. What if we decided that success is actually, you know what, I have embraced a life of purity in my life, and I have decided to invite friendships around me, people in relationships who want the very same thing, and I've made sure that they are on the same trajectory in my life, not leading me in the wrong direction. That's success. What if success is actually just saying, you know what, I I lived this life And I stood before God and I heard those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. That is successful living. And so, it is with that that we dive into yet another topic. And today I want to talk about what's happening digitally online. What am I talking about? I'm talking about pornography. I'm talking about sexting photos to one another. I'm talking about the digital confusion, what is ultimately the digital illusion. For a long time, we thought this was a man issue. It's just the guys, man. They're just messed up. You know, it's the men. For a long time in the church, we thought this was a non-Christian issue. <laughs> the Christians don't watch porn. So why would we even talk about it here? Oh, hold on a second. Here's some data. 64% of Christian men said they have viewed pornography in the last month. 15% of Christian women say the same. Overall, Christian and non-Christian, 79% today of men between the ages of 18 and 30 say they have viewed porn in the last month. Almost 80% of men in that age bracket. And folks, let's be honest. These are the ones that are willing to admit it. I could hear somebody right now like, well, this doesn't affect me. I don't know that we fully know what's going on in our homes. There may be some of you as parents, you think this is a non-issue for you. Do you really know what's going on and what your kids are watching? Really? Really? you're you're married to somebody, do do you really know? I think there's a lot of hidden stuff with this as well because it's embarrassing, I think, for some people to admit and talk about, and I'm gonna deal with that here in in just a moment. Let's look at what James says in James chapter one and verse 13. He says this, whenever we are tempted, no one should say God is tempting me. Well, that's, that's right. God did not put the playboys in front of you. He did not do that. But then it goes on it says but each person is tempted look at it. when they're dragged away by their own evil look what it says what's that next word evil what desire there's something in me and it says i'm enticed in this process that word enticed is important because it ties into other descriptions of our spiritual adversary satan that word enticed comes from this greek word that basically means you are caught with a bait it would be like a fishing term today, that a, a something shiny was put out in the water, and you bit, and you paid the price, enticed. That's the tactic of our spiritual adversary. It looks good on the surface, but then it leads to some sort of brokenness, and the enemy knows exactly where, which lures you will be attracted to. It says this, then after that desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to what? Death. Yeah, come on, that, that's right. I casted, if I'm the enemy, I casted, I dangled it in front of you, you bit, and then comes the hook. And then your food on a table. In essence, that's what it is. And so we know that this is the enemy's tactic. We know this is what he's up to, and this is what he's up to when it comes to the things we're encountering digitally. I mentioned in week one the average age now that a person has their first pornographic viewing is between the ages of 8 and 11 years old. Of them, it's estimated that as much as almost 10% of them are starting to become addicted. I've shared before with men, you know, trying to help men understand things about pornography, and I've shared these facts, and so I'll just share them with you as well. I don't think people fully understand them, but I I just wanna make sure I get this out there. Um, Number one, we know this, that pornography is addictive. And science tells us this, that it produces the same dopamines as cocaine, in the brain. It rewires the brain. It causes the desire for things to happen very similarly to hardcore drugs. Porn is an affair because your eyes were meant to be view, view your wife naked, and that person on the screen is not your wife. Even if you're single, that's not your wife. Porn is sex slave trade. Or at least lends itself to it. And so anytime you and I engaged in that, we're enhancing sex slave trade. Porn is somebody else's daughter. And porn puts your wife in a very unfair place, making her have to live out fantasies. Uh, this is what I share with men anyways. But let's talk about sexting because this is consuming our youth today. What is it? We, we take pictures of ourselves in, in naked photos and we send them to each other. Literally, photos of genitalia. Like, I don't get it, but it's happening all over. Here's what science tells us now, now that we've had a couple decades of this. This is is what studies are are showing us now that people involved in sexting, and particularly women, oftentimes deal with regret. Uh, They are objectified, they are bullied. They battle depression, sadness, social isolation, loss of friendships, loss of personal respect for themselves, others losing respect for them, and eventually, it happens this way at times, you've probably heard about it, where they eventually self-harm over what they have done. We know that sexting itself uh, can impact your future. We know that companies, employment employment companies now researching social media more than ever before. And when they hear about something like this or some sort of situation with this, it can affect your employment. It affects college admission. It affects military admission. It can affect spots on a sports team, loss of scholarship, future relationships, not to mention the mental health struggles. And then there are now legal, we understand, consequences of sexting. The photo taker, the person in the picture... The sender, the receiver, people in possessions of the possession of these photos can be charged, especially if uh, there is a minor involved. All of this, it, it's the hook, right? It's, hey, let's do this in a moment, and then bring them in. The data is there now. Uh, this is not some churchy pastor making up stuff. It's there, and it's real. Some of you may be, have gotten hooked. How does it happen? I think it is important, this part that I'm about to talk about is so critical to this process and understanding what actually takes place and how it all develops. See, what we've discovered is that most people who are viewing things digitally are doing so because they had some sort of situation happen in the past in their life. This is what we know. Uh, For some of you, you just you weren't expecting it one day, but you were around some friends, and they brought out porn, and that's how it started. You, you didn't ask for it. It just sort of just did it. You went to somebody's house, some friends, gathering, whatever it may be. There was pressure, 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 and in that moment, everything changed. The way you viewed women, the way you viewed people, the way you viewed love, love making, it all changed. For some of you, your version of this is... Yeah, you were in fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade. You were at some age in your life, very young, and somebody did something to you that you didn't ask for, and they violated you sexually, and it brought trauma into your mind and changed the way you viewed sex and lovemaking. Some of you, it, your story is that uh, you were on a date, and that you know you were you were kissing, and you it was feeling really good, and. Then it turned into this and then it turned into this and you gave yourself up at an early age while your brain and your mind was still developing and understanding the truth about life, love, and relationships and it started to skew from that day forward the way that you thought about love, sex, marriage, all of it. You sustained, let's be honest, when you got hooked, you sustained an injury. Something happened, it was a ding, it was on the inside and it and it affected certain things going forward in your life. This is just the reality. You see something, you encounter something sexually that wasn't meant to happen that way because that's not the way God set it up, and now all of a sudden, mentally, you do not think correctly about these things. Emotionally, you do not think correctly about these things. Spiritually, everything is out of whack. You feel shame from events and things that have happened in your life, And so maybe you go back to what you view because of that injury and that hurt on the inside. I challenge you, if you've ever struggled with this in your life, go back, go back, go back to the first sexual thing that skewed the truth about what God meant for sex, for love within lovemaking within marriage. What was it that affected you? Uh, when you get caught up in this, it's embarrassing for some people, really. It, we know that it's, it's a very hidden thing. Right? There are people involved in pornography that have elaborate schemes going on to hide it so nobody will know. How do I hide it? What do I do to keep people from knowing? that? How do you know you're involved in sin? You're hiding. Sin grows in darkness. It's a great indicator that you've got an issue as you fight to keep it in the dark. At some point, even as Christians especially, we will say, okay, God, I don't wanna do this anymore, okay? I can't, I just, take this away from me, God, because I can't live like this anymore. I wanna stop. I don't wanna go there again. This is gonna be my last time, God. I I need your help. And and maybe for a little bit, you stop, but then... Something happens, and the urge comes, and you binge, or whatever it is, and you watch. And you're like, well, while I'm watching, I should watch a little bit more, and then maybe I'll kind of get back on to trying to stop this again. And then at some point, here's, here's what happens. This is kind of interesting. At some point, we say something like this. Well, you know what? It'll all be better when I get married. It'll go away then, because, you know, when you're married, you have sex twice a day and three times on Sunday. Ha, <laughs> ha, that's another sermon for another time. No, it doesn't go away. Why doesn't it go away? Because you've been injured. There's something there you haven't dealt with, you haven't processed fully, you haven't allowed God to get involved in, people to get involved in, and so what you just do is kind of keep covering over that injury, and that injury gets dinged over time, maybe you rationalize it. What's the big deal? What's the big deal? I've already laid out the groundwork for what the big deal is. James says it leads to death. Solomon, we looked at Solomon last week, Song of Solomon. In Proverbs chapter 5, Solomon says this in verse 3 For the lips of an immoral woman, I mean, he's bringing the severity of the situation to light here. They're sweet as honey and smoother than oil. But in the end, she is as bitter as poison and as dangerous as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down, Where, where does she lead you to where? To death, her steps lead straight to the grave. What he's talking about is sexual sin and where it leads you. And he's right, the data says he's right and long before the data is out there, the Bible was telling us pastor once said, sex outside of marriage, it thrills and then it kills. It fascinates and then it assassinates. When we talk about pornography, here, here's what we know. It, pornography affects your sex drive over time. It does because you're watching something fake. And then you have to engage in reality and they're two very different things and it causes a significant desensitization of the of the mind when it comes to, to sex. It steals your joy. It causes you to see, again, as we've talked about, love making different and then the exhaustion of when will I be found out? When will they know? When will it be uncovered? When will people discover it? You lose your spiritual confidence in this hiding journey. Again, this goes back to an injury. And until you deal with the injury, until you decide to get really focused on what took place all those years ago, the cycle repeats. Can I tell you what the cycle is? I'll just give it to you. I think you probably already figured it out. You've been wounded at some time in your life you sustained an injury, suddenly lovemaking isn't what you thought it was or becomes something very different, and then you start to lust over things differently than maybe you should. You start to act out in ways that maybe you should out of this distortion, and so when you lust, you're looking for thrill, you're looking for the dopamine hit, something that'll make you feel better, something that'll cover up the pain from the past or the inside. You don't want to do it. And so at some point, you say, I don't want to do it, but then you can't seem to stop. Maybe again, you stop for a little bit, but you go back to the hit, you go back to the thrill, you go back to covering up for the injury, whatever it is. So I wanted to spend just the next part of our time together giving you two key practical ways, practical and biblical ways in which you can overcome this. And so, I put in your notes ditching the digital deception and so here we go here's the first thing I put in your notes you've got to decide to move from conceal to confess we're talking about bringing it out into the light and this is so critical for different reasons but we're talking about moving to confession here's the problem with this right now Right now, guaranteed, there's people here in this audience, people watching online and you watch porn and people don't know you watch porn and so you are scared of this thought of confession. It would have you terrified. I'm gonna go talk to somebody about this? Are you kidding me? And see, again, this is the lie of the enemy. The lie of the enemy says, yeah, keep it concealed because in concealing, you are powerless. And he knows that. Conceal brings powerlessness. Now, in your mind, you think, no, that's power. I'm controlling the situation, and so I can handle it and I'll handle it myself. And yet you you really haven't been able to overcome it. So you don't have the power you think you do, Superman. It's hard to consider this, but what God reveals to us in his truth is that actually the strongest power comes when you decide to open up about it. Here's what it says in Proverbs 28, verse 13. People who conceal their sin, we're talking about success, right? They will not prosper. But if they confess and turn from their sins, they will receive mercy. They'll be on a track for healing. Confession is hard. But here's what you need to know the way God set all of this up. Remember, they asked Jesus, they said, Jesus, what are the two greatest commands? And he said, Love God and love others. Love God and love others what what we understand is that God set this up in which God and others around us godly people can help us on the journeys of our life and this is one of those areas like you were meant to discover healing and what God set up is a portrait of where something can happen where we heal together not try to do something alone Over and over again, this community of the believers becomes powerful in so many different ways. And one of the ways it's set up is that we can join together and deal with these issues together. It helps us heal together. We confess to God, but then we also confess to others. How in the world do you think you're going to defeat these forces of darkness on your own? Come on. This is heavy. You're under attack by spiritual forces, and so you need some spiritual antidote to the situation, and God has designed it all. Remember, there are two types of confession, and there are two types of results from these two types of confession. In the scriptures, we see this. There's a confession to God, and that confession to God brings healing of our sin, forgiveness of our sin. It brings a... Um, Uh, to, to know that God has forgiven me. And so whatever you've done in your life and whatever mistakes that you've made, no matter how low you've gone in your life, God offers you and I forgiveness. And when you confess to him, the Bible says that he is faithful and just to forgive you. And so I love that. But there's another level of confession or another confession in the scriptures and it's a confession to another person this is what it says in James five sixteen, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be, here's the word, you may be what? Healed. When you confess to people, it helps with our healing journey. We have one confession for forgiveness. We have another confession with people that helps drive us more and more towards healing. God sets it up this way, that if I share with somebody else who can hold me accountable, who can can help me on this journey, who can give me the tools, resources with the power of God to go through the healing process. God set this up this way. It's hard though to say, okay, I want that level of confession in my life. And so I put this in your notes. I've found this that you are only as strong as you are honest. Check it out. Weakness comes in dishonesty and concealing. Strength comes through honesty and revealing. That's how God brings that strength into your life. Here's the next thing I put in your notes. You're gonna move, not just from concealing to confession, but you're gonna move from fighting to fleeing. I'm gonna explain why this is such a big deal but in essence what i'm sharing with you is that you have to run from it of course this is true with any sin in your life you 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 need to get out of town for sure but here here's what it says in 1st corinthians 6:18 talking about sexual sin run from sexual sin Look, no other sin that so clearly affects the body. There's not no other sin effect. We talked about this in week one. Like sexual sin affects you in every phase—physically, emotionally, relationally, spiritually, mentally—all of that. It affects all of it. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body, and so there's a clear. It says, "Run, get out, flee." I think there's a great portrait of this in the Old Testament, a passage of scripture that I've shared before when it comes to sexual purity and, and, and it's, in, it's in Genesis and it's talking about uh, Joseph. He's in, I, I'm not gonna give you the whole story here, but in essence, he, he's in Potiphar's house and Potiphar's wife is putting the moves on him. Like she's a married woman and he is not married. He, she's putting the moves on him. She's looking at him, and I think she's the first desperate housewife in history, and she's looking at him going, man, you look good, and I know I'm married, but I'd really like to kind of be with you instead, and so she starts throwing herself at Joseph. She's like, come to bed with me, big boy. Genesis 39 and verse 12. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me, but he left his cloak in her hand, and what did he do? He ran out of the house. Yeah, get out. Again, I'm gonna tell you why fleeing is is such a big deal in all of this, but Jesus talks about this in the New Testament in this kind of way. He says, hey, you know what? If you got a problem with your eye, and your eye is causing you to do something you shouldn't do, you know what you ought to do to that eye? Does anybody know what Jesus said we do with the eye? Gouge it out. Whew. He said, if, if your hand is causing you to do something you shouldn't do, he said, you know what you should do with your hand? What do you say to do? Cut it off. Oh, okay, like, really? Well, we know Jesus taught in ways to help people understand Truths, uh, history does not record that there were a bunch of Christians running around during that time with patches over their eye and arms and hands missing off of their bodies, so it doesn 't seem that it was a literal thing here that, but that you understand the point it 's like get away from it as quickly as you possibly as you possibly can. This is a problem there is bait it 's in the water. you know it 's going to be run from it. Now, what I want to do is explain to you why this is such a big deal, the fleeing part, because when you flee from it, what you're doing is separating yourself from the thing that dings that injury in the past. See, you were injured in the past, and it's like, That wound is continuing to be impacted over and over again. So you're getting away from the things that ding that wound inside of you. And in that separation of that fleeing over time, that wound can now be focused on for healing the way it needs to be healed. Think of it like this. If you broke your arm, what are the doctors going to do? They're going to put it in a cast. And what's that cast going to do? It's going to stabilize the arm and keep trauma away from it. Six, eight weeks, whatever it is, put the cast on. So that why, if that trauma is gone, now this arm is in the in position over time to heal more and more. All right. So it's a removal of anything that will cause damage further to the injury. The same thing is true with sexual sin. What I'm trying to do is get myself as far away from it as I can so that the trauma can stabilize so that now I can invite Jesus more clearly in my mind to bring healing into my heart, into that injury in the past in my life. And now what we know is that when people are addicted or or dealing with a struggle to stop watching things online, what they'll end up doing is going through very much a withdrawal cycle It's very clear scientifically uh, of how all this happens. There's an article uh, written called uh, What Porn Does to Your Brain and How to Quit. And it talked about uh, just the first 90 days being critical. And so here's what it said The first week, the dopamine is going to take a nosedive, and you're going to crash you're gonna have dramatic mood swings, you're gonna be up and down, you're gonna be all over the place, there's gonna be anxiety, there's gonna be headaches, hypertension, and lustful thoughts, all this stuff can take place in that first little bit of that journey. Then you start to progress, you know, a week or two later, Uh, You're losing energy, your motivation feels a little low, you're feeling a little bit depressed, Uh, there's just things that feel very numb inside of you, Uh, you're married but you're not attracted, of course anything maybe to your spouse and you've been trying to figure out how I can resolve this and maybe you're starting to think I should go back to what I was doing because it'll be a whole lot easier but then you keep fighting and so maybe four to eight weeks later in time you're living this journey without pornography and you're still going through a roller coaster, and you're still having some ups and some downs, and this is the place where most people say, people just bail. They've had enough. It's been too much. I got to go back to what I was doing, and they relapse, and they get back into the porn game, and what I would say to you is don't quit. Don't give up. You are going through a process which will then allow the healing on the inside. After about three months or so, you start to stabilize emotionally, your mind starts to sharpen, fog begins to lift. Things begin to normalize a little bit more. Healthiness uh, ensues in your life. You start to feel a peace that God is revealing to you in a way you've never felt before. And now you are positioning yourself for the healing process to focus on that injury a long time ago. That's why fleeing is so important. You're eliminating the trauma. And so a huge part of this is being willing to be accountable, being willing to be open in the way that you live, being open with your life, sharing with others, and putting yourself on this journey for healing, remaining accountable. As your pastor, I model this. So my wife has all of the accesses to all of my devices. There's no browser history clearing, none of that. She has all of the access. to. She has all my passcodes to every account. And by the way, so do like four or five other people in the church. Like they have access to, you know, to this thing because they're, they're handling things in different ways for me. So uh, it, there's, there's nothing hidden. It, it's all there to be accountable. So she does the same with me. I have all of her access, all of her passwords, all that stuff so we have complete uh, visibility and accountability along the way. Why am I doing that? I'm getting away from every potential piece of bait that's in the water. I want to flee from that so that I can make sure I'm on the right path going forward in my life. And so understanding, though, ultimately what God wants to do, I wrote this in your notes. Why would you resist a temptation? Why, Why would you even spend time, you know, having like some sort of battle and journey with a temptation in the future when you have the power to flee from it and move away from it starting today. Why would you wait another day to see your relationships restored? Why would you wait another day to encounter the peace of God and the healing of that injury? The joy, the integrity for your life being restored, your ability to influence. Why would you wait Another day when those things could potentially be crumbling around you. You're only going to be as strong, though, as you are honest, willing to come forward and say this is a struggle. And before I close, let me share one bit of information with you. It is possible, and really it's my prayer, that sometime because of this sermon, maybe later today or this week, somebody is going to come to somebody else and confess this. Somebody is going to confess to somebody else that they are struggling with this. And so I just wanna say, if you are on the receiving end of that confession, it's so important for you to know what I'm about to share. You are going to have either one or two responses to that confession. And one is very unhelpful. It's gonna be hard, but one is very unhelpful. If your first response is to trash them, to beat them down, and I get why you would want to do that, especially if you're married, it's a deep betrayal of your trust. It it is an affair. So your response can be to beat them down and to push them away and to get them away from you. And again, I get why in the flesh you would wanna do that. Or... You can recognize this as a hurting person that's coming to you and wanting healing in their life and you can, with God's help, receive that confession with love and say, okay, let's get help. One way leads to reconciliation and healing and one leads to rejection. And so again, it's gonna be hard, but if you are on the receiving end of this, you just have to be ready for how this goes down and be willing to listen and seek God's help for healing. If you are married, I would absolutely say that first place you should go is to your spouse. You are not meant to keep secrets from your spouse. You're one flesh. You're together. Maybe, though, that's hard for you. So maybe you go see a pastor first or a friend, a Christian friend, maybe a Christian counselor. At some point, uh, or you go to, you go to a, a 12-step or CR, celebrate recovery, at some point, godly people are gonna say, okay, we, we need to bring your spouse into this. So she needs to know, he needs to know one way or the other. If you're single, again, finding a Christian counselor, a, a local pastor, a, a, a leader in the church, somebody that you can talk to for accountability, again, going to celebrate recovery. Either way. If you're ever on the receiving end of a confession like this, you have to say, with God's help, uh, God, help me to be calm. Here's the thing if you're involved in this, you're not a loser, you're not a jerk. Here's the truth you're injured. You are, you've been injured in the past and we don't use the things of the past as an excuse, but we have to recognize when those things of the past are causing us to continue and continue and continue to behave a certain way. And so I challenge you, if you've been injured, take the steps you need to discover the healing of that injury a long, long time ago. Let me pray for you. God, thank you again. We're just uh, bringing truth. And there's maybe somebody here in the audience. It's a hidden thing right now. It's a hidden thing. God, give them the courage, the power, the strength this week to confess. God, maybe there's somebody here. On the, oh, they're going to be on the receiving end. Lord, give them the power, the courage, the strength to handle it with love and care and respond so this person can get some help in their life. It's affecting them. It's affecting the marriage. It's affecting the family. It, it, it's destroying lives. And so, God, I pray that with all of that, they'd be willing to receive it with love and care so that healing can begin. I'm praying for maybe the person here watching online, here in our audience who does not know what it is like to have a journey with God that gives a power and strength to heal and recover, be around God's people. And of course, as we do every week, weekend, Lord, if there's anybody who does not know you, God. They're outside the bounds of a relationship with God. They do not know you as Savior. They do not know the Son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for the forgiveness of sin. Right where they're seated, they can begin a journey with you, God, in their life. Tap into the power of our Heavenly Father, the gift of Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Today, they can begin that journey. Receive the forgiveness of their sin. And those who are forgiven have access to God and his power. Would you ask God today for the forgiveness of your sin? Would you say, I'm ready, trust and believe in the name of Jesus Christ as Savior. I'm ready today to accept that, confess that, and begin that journey with you in Jesus' name. Amen.